I want to ask you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and we will begin our time in God's Word and picking back up in verse 39 as we've been tracking through the Christmas story systematically and seeing uh, these different Advent themes and how they are revealed to us in the Christmas story. And if you came through the Welcome Center, uh, hopefully you picked up a uh, a guide for this morning, an outline that will be our guide through God's Word this morning, and the answers will be on the screen behind me. If you didn't, you can simply take notes or uh, in the notes app on your phone, however you want to make sure that you are focused on God's Word this morning. I'd encourage you to do that. And so, uh, like I said, we've been walking through the Christmas story and seeing how these Advent themes are revealed to us through the story and their fulfillment ultimately in this coming child, the Christ. And so week one, we began our journey by looking at Gabriel's announcement to Zechariah as he appeared to him as Zechariah was fulfilling his duties in the temple. And he said that the Lord was going to provide him a son and this son would be the forerunner to the Messiah. And there we laid a foundation in week one for gospel hope, that true biblical hope is not merely wishful thinking or desiring something to take place, but it's a confident assurance that God is faithful to fulfill his promises and accomplish his purposes. And this is where we anchor our hope. And then last week, as we continued this series, we, uh, we continued with a look at this narrative, by, at Luke's narrative, by looking at Gabriel's announcement to Mary, as well as we glanced over to Matthew to see his announcement to Joseph. But there we laid a foundation for true biblical peace. There we saw that the, uh, how the announcement of Jesus brought with it the promise of peace. And then we saw how the announcement uh, in, in bringing this promise of peace, that Jesus would be the only one who could secure peace between God and man. And we also saw the truth that true peace is found in trusting God's promises, provision, and providence. And we finished by this, that statement that when we know God, we can actually know peace. But if there is no God in our life, the one true God, then there is no peace. And the only way for us to know the Father and have peace with the Father is through the Son, which he provided here in this story. And so today, as we look to the Advent theme of hope, we're going to build on those foundations of, uh, excuse me, of joy. We're going to build on the foundations of hope and peace to see what Christ has secured for us and that he provides us with an indescribable joy that cannot be found anywhere else in this life or in this world. And so my goal this morning is for us as we look to this story and continue looking at this story that we will see the immeasurable joy that we have in Christ. And it is available to know that all who believe that all who believe can know this joy, that we may answer our commission to make this joy known among the nations. And so I know it seems strange to talk about true biblical joy 
given that we began our service praying over those who have experienced such great loss and tragedy just yesterday. However, I think you'll see that this is actually exactly the perfect thing for us to focus on. And I pray, and and it's the, the perfect thing for us to pray over our brothers and sisters in the Midwest because we're going to learn this morning that in Christ, we can have joy in the midst of all of life's circumstances. So with that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as you are able. And this is simply to remind ourselves that it is God's word is the very reason that we are here. And we're starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped this, his servant Israel remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words of your excellence and for the joy that just leaps off of the pages here in this part of our narrative that you inspired Luke to write so that all may know of the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that is found in this very part of the story of you sending a savior because we needed saving. And so God, may that not be missed on us this morning. That the joy which you provide us in Christ is one which is rock solid and steady, not fleeting and emotional. And then, God, let us leave this place joyful as we continue to celebrate this season. And let us leave so joyful that the outside world will not be able to deny that there is something different about those who trust in you that they cannot find anywhere else. And then, Lord, impress upon their hearts, move them to ask about that joy that we may share and testify of the good news within us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may be seated this morning. So looking again there, uh, as we started in verse 39, we see that in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. So this is immediately following the words that Gabriel had delivered to her. As Gabriel makes this pronouncement, and we analyzed that uh, extensively last week, but that, that announcement ended with Mary giving this great uh, humble exclamation that I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. And so as soon as Gabriel leaves, we see those words in those days. And so there's a few important linguistic and cultural points to make here that give us clarity and context to a full understanding of this interaction that takes place between Mary and Elizabeth. So first you'll notice, as I said, that uh, Luke begins his narrative in verse 5, and he does so by giving a historical time reference. So if you look back at verse 5, he gives the historical time reference. And then he repeats this theme throughout the story. That we start in verse 5, in the days of King Herod of Judea. And then we go to verse 8, when his division was on duty. And so giving us an idea of the timeline of of how uh, Zechariah and when Abijah's division had to be serving in the temple. And then we move to the next part of the story in verse 26. And Luke begins with, in the sixth month. And then we get to today's verses in the next part of the story in verse 39, in which we see in those days. And so this phrase, in those days, simply means immediately after this. So immediately after the uh, vision or, excuse me, the uh, announcement, the pronouncement from Gabriel is given to Mary. And Mary exclaims, may it be done to me according to your word. The angel leaves and she immediately sets out to go and visit Elizabeth, as she had been told that Elizabeth, too, was pregnant in this time, and that it was an act of the Lord that had done this. And so she sets out immediately and darts off as fast as she can to visit Elizabeth and discuss the things that the Lord was doing in their day and in their midst. And so Luke does not want us to miss And noting all of these timelines and noting the hurried nature in which things are taking place and and how these people are responding, he doesn't want us to miss the historical reality of this story. And nor does he want us to miss the humanity of this story. He wants us to see the hurried nature in in which Mary darts off to go and visit Elizabeth with excitement at this pronouncement that the Lord had given her. And he wants Theophilus to grasp that these were real historical events and real historical people that this took place. And so the second thing I want to point out to us is that that word greeting there, or here in our verse this morning. So in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Now this is not our sort of informal passing of words. Hey, how you doing? So guess what? This angel appeared to me and no. So this greeting would have been in this culture, this would have been a cultural norm that consisted of a formal exchange of life updates. I think a lot of times we don't appreciate some of these interactions in the Bible because we 
see each other so frequently because the advent of the, the modern car and, and social media and all the ways in which we can constantly stay connected, we're always updated on what's happening in each other's lives. And so having not been able to see each other or communicate with each other for a long time, we go through this formal greeting process that takes place in this culture. And so they would have detailed their encounters with Gabriel as well as over exchanged overwhelming, the overwhelming news that, they, that the Gabriel had delivered to them and what the Lord had already set in motion. So what I want us to see here in noticing the timeline, the humanity, the nature, as we picked up on last week, is that the Lord is doing all of this through human means. That he is setting into motion, he's using an elderly Zechariah and Elizabeth to, to give birth to, the, uh, to John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. And then through the Holy Spirit, he is uh, using Mary to give birth to the Messiah. And so now, surely if God is powerful enough to bless a childless elderly couple with the grace to have a child... Surely, if God is powerful enough to bless a young teenage virgin with the grace to conceive the Savior of the world through the imparting of the Holy Spirit, then surely he is powerful enough to do so in a much more triumphant way. But Luke doesn't want us to miss that either, that the Lord purposefully chose these humble means, and that is evident in Mary's song, which we'll get to later. But that's just the point that we serve a God of plans and purposes and ordinances and, and providence. And yes, God could have done all this in a way which would have grabbed the attention of many, but he chose to do so in such a way that reveals the humble nature of this new kingdom that he is establishing through these actions. And Luke wants us to know that God was intentionally working in a way in which it confounds the wisdom and the pride of this world. And he providentially worked in the priesthood divisions so that Abijah's division would be up for their turn. He providentially worked in the lots so that a childless old man named Zechariah would be in the temple at just the right time so that his angel could announce this to him so that he would reveal his plan so that all would see his grace and declare his glory, which brings us to our first point this morning, that those who have experienced God's grace are compelled to testify of his glory. Mary's first response upon ending her conversation with Gabriel is to quickly run to her relative Elizabeth to share the great news that she has been told and to testify to what the Lord was doing. Upon their exchange of dialogue and their formal greeting ending, we read this in verse 41 as we pick back up. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this passage and the story, and this story does not overtly address abortion. However, this passage, and really the story as a whole, is undoubtedly a direct indictment of abortion. And given everything that is happening 
in the Supreme Court right now that we are praying to an end of Roe v. Wade and ultimately the abolition of abortion. There's no difference here in the word that Elizabeth uses to describe the baby inside of her and the word that the angels use to describe the baby Jesus laying in a manger. They are the same word bringing about the truth that our reflection of God's image has no limit. Our reflection of God's image has no limit. There's an element here which we cannot ignore. God is using, working, speaking, and moving to praise the life of the unborn through parents, young and old alike. There is no point in our life at which we are too young, too old, too poor, too worthless in the eyes of the world that we do not reflect the image of God. And God is providentially working to show that his image is important and that we are created in that image. We see this in the opening pages of Scripture. From Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And no other creature or creation on this earth bears this designation as being created in the image of God. And then we see God in verse 28 of Genesis 1, bless them and give them the command to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so this wasn't just a command to have large families and do what they wanted with his creation. This was a blessing of being able to have children and then a command to fill the earth with God's image, to multiply God's image across creation. So not only are we the only being in creation that is made in God's image, but we are also blessed with the gift of multiplying God's image across creation. And so that image is not only imparted upon the first man and woman, but is multiplied from there on. And so all of us are created in God's image and therefore have intrinsic value. Young, old, unborn, or on our deathbed, we are created in the image of God. We support the sanctity of life from the womb to the tomb. And all of this is on marvelous display in the Christmas story. Another incredible thing happens here at the end of the verse. As Gabriel told Zechariah back in verse 15, he told Zechariah in the temple, he says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, talking about John, while still in his mother's womb. And so in referring to the baby John, he says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Now, this is not abnormal for one who is filling the role of a prophet. It is very different than what we see throughout the rest of Scripture as the the prophets are are filled with the Holy Spirit. Or we might look at Jeremiah in which at the beginning of Jeremiah, the Lord said, I set you apart as my prophet while you were still in your mother's womb. So this is not abnormal for one who is filling the role of prophet or delivering a message from God to be filled with God's Spirit. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. But now we see that as the baby leaps with praise within her, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So those who called, who God called to be prophets or led his, or to lead his people or deliver a message were filled with his spirit. But outside of this, 
up until this point, God's spirit was the active presence of God among his people in general. And so we see God's spirit leading the people in Exodus in a pillar of cloud and fire. We see God's spirit resting on the tabernacle and then later in the temple. So the covenant people did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit because God had not prepared them to do so. So God's spirit resided in the midst of his people, but only those individuals with special calling or assignments were imparted with the Holy Spirit. And we see this in Ezekiel, that God had set a plan in motion for his spirit to dwell in the hearts of his people. In Ezekiel chapter 11, Sorry, in verse 19, we see this. I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinances, and practice them. They will be my people and I will be their God. And then a few chapters later in Ezekiel 18, Through the prophet Ezekiel, we see this proclamation. Therefore, house of Israel, I will judge each one of you according to his ways. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your rebellious acts so they will not become a sinful stumbling block to you. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So repent and live. As we see all the way back in Ezekiel, we see the Lord saying that at that time, when this new covenant would be established or when this new covenant, this new kingdom would be formed, that he was setting in plan a motion to put his spirit within the lives of his people as they received new hearts. And Luke, noting The baby John, leaping for joy within his mother's womb, is remarkable and marvelous, but it's not surprising because we are told that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. But what is noteworthy here and what frames the response that follows is that Elizabeth is also blessed with the designation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't some sort of osmosis type of situation where you're just close enough to something, you get to absorb part of that. Or as we see take place in that special film which changed so many lives on November 15, 1996, the film titled Space Jam, (laughs) is which if you're unfamiliar with Space Jam, and I'm not talking about that mess that they just released this last year. I'm talking about the actual goat, Michael Jordan, all right, that as... We see in Space Jam what takes place is the aliens are coming and they steal the the talent of some of the best NBA players. And they do so by making them touch this ball. And then the aliens touch the basketball and they're able to absorb the talent of the basketball players. That's not what happened here. This isn't like, so just because John is filled with the Holy Spirit and inside of Elizabeth, she doesn't get to just then absorb the Holy Spirit through that process. So Luke wants his audience to know that the kingdom which Jesus is ushering in is different than any expectation or preconceived notion that the people may have. 
that Jesus comes to Elizabeth still in his mother's womb and an unborn John as himself, still an unborn baby. Yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, John is able to respond with joy. And as we keep reading, Elizabeth is as well. as She responds to the filling of the Holy Spirit. In verse 42, we pick back up. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. So notice all the adjectives that have been used in these few verses. Mary set out and hurried. The baby leaped with joy. Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry. Luke is clearly conveying the sheer joy and excitement in responding to worship to what God had done and was doing. And so here we see that joy is the produce of a spirit-filled life. Joy is the produce of a spirit-filled life. And I use the word produce intentionally here because we see in Galatians 5 where Paul begins that chapter with the wonderful phrase, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he goes on to detail how in Christ we have been set free from the desires of our flesh that we may realize what true life and true freedom is. And then Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5, verse 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So in proving his point, Paul lists for us the obvious works of the flesh, as we saw there, that we may know that those whose life reflects these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He then provides us an example of what a life lived in the Spirit looks like. And here's where that illustration of produce comes to play. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So those who are living according to the Spirit of God exude joy in all circumstances. So much so that when the outside world sees how we respond to all circumstances with pure joy, then they realize, I haven't found that. Where can I get it? And so my dear friend and mentor, Brother David Rice, who is the pastor at Brookwood Baptist Church in Shreveport, put it this way in his sermon last Sunday. He said, the uniqueness of Christian joy is the ongoing action of expressing joy while suffering in service. That we can have this joy when we suffer is what makes it unique. That's what makes the world look at it and say, it's nothing like that out here at all. 
And so a Christian that expresses the peacefulness of true Christian joy in the middle of suffering is the greatest testimony to the all-sufficiency of God for his people that exists on the face of the planet. So anybody can be happy when everything is going our way. But who expresses joy when it's the hardest? That should be us. And so next, we see that joy places us in a natural posture, as we read there in verse 43. So Mary, filled with the Holy Spirit, loudly cries out, blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. So the verse, then verse 43, how could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So there's something significant here in Elizabeth's word choice. Notice first in verse 42, she acknowledges God's grace at work in Mary's life with the statement, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. But it's that second statement in the form of a question here in verse 43, which I want us to take note of. First, she openly ponders, how could this happen to me? We noted last week the humility that is displayed in the faith of these two women. And so, church, true joy naturally places us in a posture of humility. True joy naturally places us in a posture of humility. I quoted this verse last week, and as we noted the humble beginnings in which God chose to have Jesus born into and that verse was 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where we read, Consider the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor. So joy naturally places us in a posture of humility. And our chief example for this is Jesus himself. Following the famous discourse that I like to call the Hall of Faith, in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So in other words, because we have all these past examples of God's faithfulness and models for choosing the joy of righteousness over the fleeting pleasures of sin as it's put in chapter 11, then he says, let us run with endurance, solely focused on Jesus as our example. And what example did Jesus provide us? That for the joy that lay before him, or in other words, in order to obtain the joy that was set before him. Well, what was the joy that was set before him? It was that through the pain, the shame, and the torment of the cross, we would get to experience true joy in him. This is the joy of Christmas, 
that Christmas is not a step away from the cross or a diversion away, but it is the first step toward the cross. And that is why it brings such joy to us that Christ has come to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the joy of Christmas. And this frees us to rejoice in the Lord always, as we see in Philippians 4.4. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans 8.39. So for this reason, we alone have cause to celebrate through every moment of life, even when disaster strikes and tornadoes flatten the community. Even when we experience some of life's hardest circumstances, because in Christ, we have something far greater than the greatest that this world can offer. And so we joyfully humble ourselves to the one who knew no sin, but became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the second part of that sentence reveals something remarkable about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because Elizabeth exclaims in verse 43 again, we're still there. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. Elizabeth calls on the name of Jesus as Lord. So this was among the earliest confessions of the church. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that no one can confess Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so this is the work of the Holy Spirit is, as Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, she proclaims Jesus as Lord. In the first two chapters here of the book of Luke, we see the word Lord used 26 times. Every one of them is used in reference to God, not excluding this one. That's the exact purpose by which Luke wants Theophilus to realize. Elizabeth's exclamation here is acknowledging that the Lord has come. And his name is Jesus. So just a few verses later, as Elizabeth is still speaking, she states this as we read in verse 44, as we pick back up. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. So there it was again. She said, blessed is he who has believed what the Lord would f- that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. So there she's referencing the message given by Gabriel and talking about God. And she uses the same word there to refer to God as she uses to refer to the mother of my Lord. So there she's referring to the promise delivered by Gabriel. And then she uses the same word to refer to Jesus And so we're meant to notice the faith and excitement of these moments so that we see the true joy 
Because true joy overflows with praise. True joy overflows with praise. And this is displayed for us in the preceding verses as Mary, too, in this moment, is overcome with joy and responds by bursting out in song, like a scene from The Sound of Music. (laughs) Mary's song here is traditionally titled The Magnificat. And there's an undeniable joy expressed by all the people in this story as a result of the Holy Spirit's work within them. But Mary's words here are particularly challenging and encouraging for us. And so my challenge for us this morning is, does this echo the cry of your heart as a result of the Spirit's work within you? Because as we reread Mary's words here in a little bit, if the answer is no then something is wrong. But the good news is that Christmas exists because God provided a Savior for our saving. So if you've tried the ways of this world and have realized that there is no joy in your life, then see the joy of Christmas. Because as we look at the urgency of Mary, as we look at John's reaction within the womb, as we look at Elizabeth's words, and as we read Mary's song of praise, we can't help but see the joy that Christ provides. So we pick back up in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. And he has done a mighty deed with his arm and he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. So in week one, we saw Zechariah is told the news of the Christ and that he is going to have a son who is the forerunner to him. It's the greatest news he could receive. And then he gets icing on the cake that he is going to have a son in his old age. And Zechariah's response was what? How can I know this? And so it was one of a lack of faith. And then we saw Gabriel punish him for that lack of faith with not being able to speak about this great news. And so this week, we see Elizabeth declare, blessed is she who believed what the Lord spoke to her. One of our final points last week is that we must trust God's word more than we trust ourselves. That's what we see in the response of these, that when we have faith in God's word, we have great joy in his work in this life. So the example of Zechariah is one of warning, and the example of Mary and Elizabeth and John is one for us to model. How do we respond to the gospel? We humble ourselves. We leap with joy and we shout with praise at the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. 
Joy is the response of a heart that possesses the hope and peace of Christ. And so my prayer for us, church, is that we would experience the full exuberance of joy in Christ this Christmas season and that we would do so in such a way that we can't help but make his name known far as the curse is found. Let's pray. God, we thank you that for the joy that lay before you, Jesus, that you endured the shame, the torment of the cross, and that joy that lay before you was that we would get to experience true joy in you through the new life which is brought about in us. So God, help us to savor this Christmas season. Help us to intentionally and purposefully experience and communicate and and show joy at what you have done and are doing. Because God, this story sets for us another example. Because at Advent, we celebrate your first coming. And we look forward with joyful anticipation to your second. So let us live with the same urgency and excitement and joyfulness and hope and peace that are displayed for us in this story. That the world may see and know that you are good and that you are God. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.